Hey there, my name is Jonathan Galvan, and I'm one of the pastors at Redeemer. Uh, we're so glad that you're tuning in to this sermon, and we pray that this sermon would be an encouragement to you. So please enjoy. Amen, amen, amen. Good morning. How are we doing this morning? Awesome. A little one more time. Good morning. How are we doing this morning? I got to get you warmed up for Dave to give a little interaction, a little support for him as he preaches in a few moments. Uh, but before I do, I've got a couple quick things for you. Uh, first off, welcome. If you've been around Redeemer a long time, welcome. Uh, if this is your first time and you're walking in as a visitor, uh, welcome. I truly hope that you are blessed um, through the gospel and through just a church family coming together uh, this morning. So glad that you're here. Um, our worship pastor, Jonathan Galvan, is out of town today, uh, and I wanted to let you know know why because he has uh, finished up a 10-year project uh, called seminary and so he flew out to North Carolina to graduate from seminary uh, this last week so if you see him give him a big encouragement and all as always a big thanks to Jordan Strebeck for stepping in to lead uh, Jordan's one of our lay elders and he served uh, the church incredibly well in a lot of different capacities over the years so big thanks to him as well uh, well we get the uh, really incredible privilege to invite Dave uh, Bruscus to come preach this morning. Uh, Dave uh, has been around church planting uh, and preaching for uh, a long, long time. Well, not a long, long time. Lo long time, longer than me. Uh, and he's been an incredible source of uh, encouragement and wisdom to me. Uh, he's become a friend of Redeemer. He got to come and preach last uh, September here. Uh, he serves on staff as uh, the vice president over North America for Acts 29. Uh, so really in charge of a lot of efforts to plant churches all over North America has a heart for church planting, has a heart for Jesus, has a heart even for West Texas. So y'all give a warm welcome to Pastor Dave. Good morning, family. Good to be with you. Uh, I love Pastor Jason. I know you do too. He's a man who loves Jesus, loves his family. I got to be with the Hatches last night at the Midland Christmas Parade, which was fantastic. He loves you. He loves Redeemer Midland and he loves this city. And so I know you're blessed with him. And it's a bonus for me today because I get to see Jordan Strebeck again. I haven't seen him in a while, but we go way back. I've known Jordan for a couple decades. We are part of the uh, Green Chile Mafia who has invaded from the West and both New Mexicans. And Jordan actually set up my second oldest daughter with her husband. And so I still owe him a commission on that one. And we'll, we'll work that out sometime today. So it's, it's good to be with you. As, uh, as part of my work, as uh, Jason stated, I do a lot of travel. I'm in airports, I'm on airplanes a lot. So I kind of get to see a lot of bad behavior. And I was in uh, Baltimore earlier this year, coming home to Dallas where I live. And a, a, a storm had hit the eastern seaboard and flights were beginning to be canceled. And I was fortunate that, that my flight was merely delayed a few hours. So I decided to set up a seat and just watch what happened. And it was rather incredible. In particular, one woman came up to the uh, airline attendant uh, right at the counter there. She was just notified that her far flight from uh, Baltimore to Florida had been, had been canceled and she was irate. She was berating the, the customer service representative saying, how could you not see this was coming? Uh, you have the weather channel like we all do, you have the apps. How could you not foresee this? 
And the attendant was making the case that this was an act of God, there was nothing they could do about it. And at which point in time that this woman realized, and she was elegantly dressed, she realized she wasn't going to get on a flight that night. She fell on the floor like a two-year-old and began to pound her fists and throw a tantrum. And so the flight attendant then called the police and the, the airport police came in on, 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 on bikes. They came by this woman. Everybody fled for their lives as if there's going to be a giant shootout right there in the airport. When this woman saw the police were there, she stood up, she brushed herself off, she apologized to the attendant and then she made her way on. And I thought to myself in that moment, this is a microcosm of the world in which we're living in right now. That this isn't necessarily unusual behavior. Sadly, this has become commonplace. If you and I were to say, what type of world are we living in right now? We would say our world is it's anxious and it's angry. Which for me in the season of Advent raises a question that we're going to talk about today. And that is, how do Advent people live in an anxious and an angry world? How do we live as Advent people? How should we live as Advent people in an anxious and an angry world? Now, let me tell you what I mean by Advent people. Um, you and I are people that are impacted by the first Advent. Advent simply means arrival. As Christians, we are people that are um, changed entirely by the first coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus came and he lived the only perfect life that's ever been lived. He went to the cross there. He died in our place. He is risen victoriously from the grave, bodily, physically. He's at the right hand of the Father. One day he'll come back and rule and reign forever. And you and I are between the places of being redeemed by Jesus, but also in this thing that's yet to come, that there's some promises that are unfulfilled. There's things that haven't happened. As he comes again in his second advent, he will restore all things. He'll make everything right and he will rule and he will reign forever. So how do advent people or how should advent people live in an anxious and angry world? Spoiler alert, it has everything to do with hope. Let me pray for us. And then we're gonna jump into Romans 15. If you have a Bible this morning together and look at a few key verses. Father, thank you that you've brought us here together today on a misty, overcast morning. And you brought us here because according to Jesus, you seek those who worship you in spirit and truth. And oh, Father, that's exactly what we want to do in these next few minutes that we have as we, as we open up your word together. We want to worship you in spirit and in truth. Lord Jesus, thank you that you lived the life that we couldn't live. You died the death we all deserve to die. And you are risen and you are victorious and you will come back and you will rule forever. We long for your second advent and we're so grateful that you came into a manger to save us. Holy Spirit, I pray this morning for everyone in this room. I especially pray for those who are suffering today. I pray for those who are struggling with strife, with loved ones, with family members, with friends, with coworkers. I pray, Holy Spirit, that as we open up the pages of the Bible together, you would open up our hearts to see how great Jesus is and that we would have hope together. Lord Jesus, I pray if there's anyone in this room at all who doesn't yet know you, would you arrange an introduction today? Would you change lives forever in your good name and for your glory? We all pray together. Amen. Turn with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 15. We're going to cover just a few verses this morning. How do, how should Advent people live in an anxious and angry world? Romans 15, we're going to begin in verse 8. 
Romans 15, 8, for I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to, conform, to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all people extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him the Gentiles hope. Two reasons we have today to be hopeful, to be people of hope, to be Advent people anticipating the second Advent of Jesus, living from all the benefits he got for us or produced for us from the first Advent. Two reasons about Jesus that we'll see here in this text. Two things that are critically important, but both of them come from him being a servant to the uncircumcised. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean when we say Jesus was a servant to those who um, were both Jewish and Gentile? Here's what it means. What we're practically saying is that Jesus came and he lived out a perfect life. He kept all 613 commandments of the Old Testament perfectly, unlike anyone has ever done. And then being our perfect substitute, he went to the cross there. He died in our place. And dying in our place, the grave couldn't contain him. He is raised physically, bodily from the dead. He's at the right hand of the Father. And through Jesus, we have two amazing reasons to be hopeful as we look towards the future. The first is this, if you're taking notes this morning, Jesus proves God is reliable with his promises. Jesus proves that God is reliable with his promises. God made amazing promises to the patriarchs of Israel. And we see in Jesus, according to the Bible, that all of God's promises have their yes and amen in Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promises and God is reliable. If you need any proof to the reliability of God, look to the person and work of Jesus. When we talk about hope, we're not talking about dreaming happy dreams or thinking thoughts or, or, or being optimistic. We're talking about a faith that's dependent upon objective truth. The first is Jesus fulfills all of God's promises. Are you suffering this morning? Are you struggling this morning? Maybe it's physical. Maybe you're hurting. Maybe you have a disease. Maybe you're not well. Maybe it's relational. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's emotional and mental. And there's this thought in the back of your mind, is God really true to his promises? Can I rely upon him? I'm not doing well right now. I'm struggling. Can I trust that God won't abandon me, but God is going to see me through these current struggles, this pain that I'm presently in? Can I count on God? And according to this text, Jesus is the one who proves that God keeps his promises. God can be relied upon, God can be trusted. See, living between two advents, we live with suffering. We're made right with God through Jesus, but not all that God has promised us has fully been realized. The day will come, maybe it'll be soon. The day will come when Jesus will return, he'll rule the nations. There'll be no more suffering, there'll be no more sin, there'll be no more death, there'll be no more tears. We will be right with God forever and it's gonna be amazing, but we're not there yet. And in this broken world we live in, we suffer. We experience pain and brokenness 
and we look around us and things aren't as they should be, can you and I trust God in this space? According to this text, one of the reasons we have hope is because Jesus proves that God's promises are reliable. If you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, here's a great promise. God has made it clear, Romans chapter 8, that all things that are going on in your life right now, even the most painful, difficult things, all things will ultimately work for the good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Namely, God is using the hardest things in our life this morning to transform us into people together who think, feel, speak, and act like Jesus. The suffering you're going through isn't random. It's not purposelessness. It has great purpose. And Jesus is the proof of that. I've got four daughters, uh, three sons-in-law, six grandkids. Last night at the, at the Christmas parade, Hannah accused me of planting thoughts in her kids' heads that she couldn't fulfill. And I assured her that's right. I, I, I confirmed her suspicions. That's what grandparents do, and I'm getting good at it. Um, my youngest daughter, uh, three years ago, was a junior at Texas Tech in Lubbock. She had had a lingering cough for about four months. She went to many doctors. She was prescribed allergy medicine and antibiotics, uh, even changed away from a dairy diet, did everything the doctors told her. She came home, we were living at the time in the DFW area. She came home over Christmas break. We asked her to see our own personal physician. She saw them. Our physician was concerned, listened to her chest, sent her for a chest X-ray. It was cloudy sent her back for a more uh, intensive scan, and she was diagnosed with stage four Hodgkin's lymphoma. Now, we got a very positive prognosis. The doctor said, maybe doctors say this to a lot of different people, but the doctor told us, if you're gonna get a cancer, this is the one you wanna get. This cancer is very curable, but you just have to go through a pretty intensive regimen of chemo. So never forget taking Jillian, 20 years old at the time, with my wife to her first chemo appointment, and it lasted several hours, and physically, her, 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 she just changed. Skin color changed, her countenance dropped. She just looked like a different person going into that and coming out of it, and it wasn't for the better. And we drove her home, and I know my little girl well. When she's really hurting physically and when she's really discouraged, she finds refuge in just sleeping. So she went right up to her room, and she slept. Maybe we got home at 11 in the morning, and now it's five in the afternoon and she hasn't come out of her room and I know she's hurting and I'm praying for her. And I know the promises of God when we suffer that it has purpose, but he also promises, even according to Romans eight, that we can call him Abba Father. He loves us as a father. He enters into our suffering and he's present with us through the person of the Holy Spirit. So I'm sitting there at the table waiting for Jillian to come down for dinner. And I'm just praying, Father, you're the perfect father. I've not been a perfect father. In my mind are all the times I've told her, shake it off, dust it up, you know, get, out, get after it, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And I think of all the things I wanted to think about in this moment, that's not what I wanted to know. I wanted to know that God loves her and he's with her. She makes her way down to the dinner table after she gets up from her extended nap. It's just me and Karen, her having dinner together quiet conversation. It's very clear her food doesn't taste well and she can't eat. And she looks up at the table across from us and she says, uh, hey, mom and dad, uh, God spoke to me this afternoon. And we're like, wait a second, like that, that deserves a better buildup, but please, we want to know what he said. She said it was so weird. She said it was towards the very end of the day, towards the end of my nap. She said, I'd just woken up and I heard audibly the words, my daughter. 
She said, Dad, I looked around the room thinking maybe it was you. You'd come into my room and you just were calling me my daughter. And she said, I looked around and saw that it wasn't you. And it just reminded me that God loves me, he's for me, and he's with me. You suffering today? Take hope because in Jesus, God has proven himself reliable to his promises. And he makes incredible promises to all of us this morning. If you're suffering, if you're struggling, if you're hurting, take hope. Because God says it's not without purpose. He has purpose in everything that comes into your life. And he's always present with you. Will you trust in him? But here's something that's even better than Jesus proving perhaps that God is reliable with his promise. Here's the second thing that Jesus does according to these verses. Jesus proves that God is reconciled with his people. Jesus became a servant to his people under the law, keeping the law perfectly so that they might be declared righteous before God. And it wasn't just for the Jewish people. It extended to all peoples from every nation whom God would pursue. In the pages of the Bible, there's only two types of people as God looks at anthropology. There are those that are Jewish and there are those that are non-Jewish like me that are Gentiles. And now God has made a way to be reconciled to people through the person and work of Jesus as a free gift of his grace. It's Jesus in our place. You're not righteousness on your own. You and I can't possibly be righteous before a holy God, but Jesus has lived the only perfect life. Jesus died the death you deserve to die. Jesus is risen so that by trusting in him, you can receive not only the forgiveness of sin from God, you achieve the right standing of Jesus as a free gift. Maybe you're here today and you've been working hard to be religious, trying to figure out this Christianity thing. What is this about? Oh, I have good news for you today. Jesus is your righteousness. It's through Jesus and Jesus alone that you can be made right with God and God could never give us a better gift than giving us Jesus. Will you receive him today? Will you trust in him if you've not trusted in him before? If you are a Christian, will you trust in him again? That you're reconciled with God through Jesus. Now, here's what's hard about this season, this time of the year is we become painfully aware of all the relationships in our lives that are broken. Do you feel that? Maybe there's one less Christmas card than the year before. Maybe there's a difficult situation. Maybe the family gathered together around Thanksgiving and you just felt again, we are so estranged. Things aren't right. I think one of the reasons our world is so angry today is because there's so much animosity and antagonism and unreconciled relationships. But because of what Jesus has done and who he is, you and I are not only reconciled to God, guess what? We can be reconciled one to another. The cross of Jesus makes it possible for you and I not only to be right with God, but to forgive others, to be made right with others, to be restored with others, even our worst enemies. Right, that's the beautiful picture. I love what John Perkins says about the reconciliation of the cross. He says it happens on four levels. First and foremost, you and I through Jesus are reconciled to God, which is great. Then we're reconciled to other individuals. Then people groups are reconciled to people groups. In this context, and this is really the meaning of this passage, Jews are reconciled to Gentiles, religious people to irreligious people come together in Jesus and all the animosity goes away. I don't know what it looks like in our culture. Maybe rich are reconciled with poor. Men reconciled with women. Anglos reconciled with people of color. I don't know how far it goes. Maybe Red Raiders reconciled with Longhorns. Who knows? But it's amazing the reconciliation that can happen through Jesus. 
I've got a dear friend, his name is Paul. We're very close. He lives on the East Coast. We interact at least on a monthly level and our conversations always go deep quickly. But it wasn't always like that. Paul and I were in the same church. I was leading that church as a pastor. Paul didn't appreciate the way I was leading it and the direction I was taking. I felt like Paul was needy and he was demanding too much from me. We had this falling out and we were estranged for years. I moved away. I came back to the town again to serve where Paul was living. And I thought to myself, I got to sit down with him over coffee. We got to make this right. Before I could even say, I'm sorry, Paul looked across the, the coffee table at me and said, I forgive you. And we have this amazing restored relationship. Why? How did that happen? Because of the fact that I'm reconciled with God through Jesus. I don't know what this Advent season looks like for you, but is there somebody with whom you need to be reconciled with? Do you need to sit down with somebody and say, because of who Jesus is and based on what he's done, we can ask for and extend forgiveness one to another. We don't need to go through another Christmas season being distant or being angry or being heard, we can come together. Now all this sets up the question that I asked earlier and that is, how does this change the way we live? How should Advent people live in an anxious and angry world? Let's finish up this morning with Romans 15, verse 13. Here we go. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. So much here. We could take weeks and unpack that, but we, we don't have that luxury, do we? Let me highlight a few things here from this passage I want you to see. First thing I want you to see is this, hope resides in God. God is a God of hope. God is the object of our hope. I hope that comes to you today as somewhat of a relief because so many times we just try to conjure up hope within and we can't find it. That's because it's not intrinsic to us. It's not natural to us. It doesn't live in us. If we're going to have godly hope and hope is nothing more than a faith that looks forward, hope is the confident assurance that God is going to be good for all that he's promised and I can trust that someday I will be with Jesus forever and everything that's wrong will be made right and it'll be better than I can imagine. That's hope that resides in God. And what God does according to this text is he gives us hope as a free gift empowered by God the Holy Spirit. The Bible teaches God is triune, three persons, one God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God the Father, the God of hope, gives us hope through the person and work of the Holy Spirit who pours it out in our heart, and we receive the gift of hope by believing, by trusting, also empowered by the Holy Spirit. I hope that encourages you this morning. If you've been struggling with despondency and despair and depression and not really being able to see all that God is for you in Jesus, particularly as it pertains to future things, I want you to be encouraged this morning that it's not something you have to grit your teeth and bare your knuckles and go after and get done. It's a gift from God. God is a God of hope and he gives us his hope as a free gift through the person work of the Holy Spirit that we receive by faith. And with hope, come two amazing accompanying gifts. Do you see these? What are they? Look, if you will, again at verse 13. 
May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing. There you have it. Joy and peace are the antonym or the antonyms to anxiety and anger. Biblical joy is a feeling. It's this feeling of gladness. It's a feeling that transcends all your circumstances. No matter how bad your life is, joy is this prevailing feeling that's a gift from God that says, no matter how bad things are, God is good and Jesus is mine. And one day he'll make things right forever. And I'm camping out on that today. And despite how difficult my circumstances are, I have gladness in my heart because I have Jesus. And one day I'm going to partake in all of his greatness forever with him and all of his people. That's an amazing truth, isn't it? Isn't that greater than any difficulty you're experiencing in your life today? What are you anxious about? I know you have hard things coming across your path. I get it. Every day is wrought with difficulties and dangers, but here's the good news. The most difficult obstacle you'll ever face, that is an antagonistic relationship with God, has been perfectly resolved through Jesus. God is for you, people. He loves you. He's got amazing things in store for you. And why we suffer here and now between Advents, guess what? He's with us. And because he's with us in his presence, we can have joy. Peace. It's really about a position. And peace is opposed to anger. Anger originates because we have enemies, people that oppose us, people that inflict circumstances upon us that are unjust, and it causes anger because we are unreconciled with people. But because we're reconciled with God in Jesus Christ, and we know how this whole thing plays out, we have, we have peace. We don't have enemies, not enemies with blood and skin. We have enemies that are spiritual enemies, according to scripture, but people are our enemies. And if people aren't our enemies, we don't need to be angry all the time. We can live at peace. Here's the question I asked earlier. How should Advent people live in an anxious and angry world? Let me answer that for you. Last point I'm going to make today. Advent people live with joy and peace in an anxious and angry world. That's how we live. We live differently than the world around us. We look radically different because of the change that Jesus has made in us. When the rest of the world around us is anxious and angry, guess what we get to be? Joyful and peaceful. Why? Because we have hope. Because Jesus proves God is reliable for all his promises and he makes amazing promises to us that he will fulfill. And we know that because of who Jesus is and what he did. Secondly, not only does God have plans for us, God himself is for us. We're reconciled with him through Jesus and all the love and all the acceptance and all the affection the father has for the son. He has for us because of Jesus. God loves you. And the story of the Bible, if you haven't read it through all the way, guess what? It has a happy ending. I love the Bible, and I know you love the Bible at Redeemer Midland, and I want you to keep pressing into the Bible, but the Bible is more simple than you think. First start studying the Bible and think, I don't know how to make sense of any of this. 66 books, two testaments, multiple authors, written in different languages over thousands of years. How do I make sense of this? The Bible is a singular story. There's four parts to it. 
Part one is creation. God created us to worship him and enjoy him forever. And our common ancestors rebelled against God. Chapter one, creation. God created the world and what did he declare when it was done? He said, it is good. But then everything went awry because of Adam and Eve and you and I inherit their mess. Because of their sin, everything is compromised. So you have creation, chapter one. Chapter two is fall. But God in his infinite mercy and grace, he made a way for us. God the Son became a human being, born in a manger, lived the perfect life we couldn't live, died the death we deserve to die, rose from the dead. God the Father accepted his sacrifice once and for all. And through Jesus, chapter three, you and I can be redeemed. But there's a fourth chapter we haven't experienced yet that's in the future. It's coming, maybe this week, and that's restoration. When Jesus returns and he rules forever and all that's wrong is made right, no more tears, no more death, no more suffering, we will be with him and it'll be greater than you can even imagine. Church, we know how the story ends. We're not going to be distracted by our current circumstances. We're not going to get cut off in anxiety and anger. Why? We're going to be people of peace and joy because we have hope. And our hope rests on the person and work of Jesus. Do you believe that to be true? Let me show you how this works. Um, I guess since we're in church, it's time for true confessions. I am a lifelong diehard Dallas Cowboy fan. And that comes with a lot of pain and suffering over the years, as many of you know. So my dad's a big time fan, my brother's a big time fan. My brother's not really watching the games with me and my dad right now because we tend to be a little bit, um, how should I say, exuberant when we watch the Cowboys. So he's chosen to watch from his house. Plus my dad has a smaller TV set and I think that factors into it as well. But we'll text back and forth during the game. Uh, my dad is a little bit technically challenged as many of our lovely, more mature saints are. And I'm not sure he should have an iPhone, but he does. I know he shouldn't use voice messaging ever, but he does. And I get some really bizarre things that that's for another time. So I'm watching the game last Sunday night, Cowboys and Colts. Cowboys are beginning to put the game away. All they need, they just scored. All they need, all they need is one more stop and one more score, game over. It's it. That's all they need. But sometimes that doesn't happen if you follow the Cowboys. And so my brother's been texting me through the game. I don't know how this happened. I think, again, it goes back to some of my, my parents' technical challenges. But we're like a couple minutes behind him on the game. And I figured this out. So big stand. Cowboys need one more play to win the game. They need to stop the Colts. They score game over. Play's about to happen. I'm beginning to feel that sense of this is going to go wrong, this is going to go wrong, I follow this team long enough, it's only a matter of time, and I get a text from my brother that simply says in all caps with exclamation points, game over. And I think, oh, this is it. So I watch my dad and I see his stress over there and I just smile, just want to see his face as this thing plays out. I'm joyful because I know now the game's over even though this play hasn't happened. I'm at peace. I'm not angry with anybody, especially not Jerry Jones. This is going to be okay this time. Sure enough, play ensues, Colts turn the ball over, Cowboys score, game over. That's where we are today. Church, the game's over. Jesus is one. We've been reconciled to God through Jesus. All the promises God makes to his people are ultimately going to be fulfilled. We can rely upon him. You and I can live because of hope. This gift that God gives us in the Holy Spirit. We can live with hope today. Facing the most difficult circumstances and trying times in a world that's anxious and angry, we can live with joy and peace because we know how this ends. 
God has a plan. He's reliable. And he's for us. We've been reconciled. How does this work? In the way that we live among people that don't believe in Jesus? How does this, how do you and I leave this space today and walk out into the world around us? What does hope look like? Back in the Baltimore airport, I saw an example that night that I think typifies what hope might look like. As I sat there and watched flights being canceled and waited for my flight that was delayed to leave, I saw a young woman, couldn't have been more than mid-20s, come up to the ticket counter and she had a uh, wagon. She had a baby in her arms and she had two little kids in the wagon and she was, she was disheveled. You could tell whatever was going on in her life, it was hard. She walked up to the ticket counter and there was an agent and the agent informed her her flight had been canceled. As a matter of fact, as they were looking at putting her on another flight and she needed to get to where her mother was, it wasn't gonna happen to the next day. And she began to cry. She said, I don't have any money. I don't have any way to feed these kids. I don't know where to stay tonight. I've got nothing. And she began to weep. And the kids were crying. And she pulled away from the ticket counter. And I thought, I, I got to do something. I, I don't know what it looks like. I got to do something for this woman. I'm not sure what. She picked up her cell phone and she called her mom. And it became evident to me what was going on in her life. I, I eavesdropped. She was running away from her home because it wasn't safe anymore. It's a domestic situation. She had gotten at least as far to the airport. She was going to go be with her mom, and now she was trapped at the Baltimore airport. Couldn't go home. Had no one to go home to. It was dangerous at home. Had nowhere to stay. Had no food. Hopeless. Anxious. Angry. And I'm thinking, what can I do for this woman? And before I can come up with a plan, another woman about her age walked over to her and just embraced her complete stranger, just embraced her. And they began to weep together. And it wasn't like 10 seconds, it was like two minutes of crying. And then this woman drew back from her a little bit and said, let's pray, let's ask God to help us. And I know he will. And then she went about getting her food for the kids and apparently they were taken care of for the rest of the time. That's the posture I think we should have in the world around us. We have hope. The world around us is anxious and angry because there is no hope, but we have the hope of Jesus and we get to go out and embrace the world around us with the hope of Jesus. Who do you need to tell this week? Who do you know within your sphere of influence who desperately needs to hear about the hope that we have in Jesus? Advent people live with peace and joy in an anxious and angry world. What can we do today? We can ask the Holy Spirit again to bring to us the hope that God has for us. Will you pray with me? Father, I pray for those in this room that are struggling the most this morning. You're so kind. You're an Abba Father who knows us and sees us and knows our needs. And you have good plans for us. And we're right with you. We're reconciled with you because of Jesus. Will you encourage those who need encouragement the most? Father, would you bring to mind those in our lives that we know, that we can influence, who need to hear the hope of Jesus. Father, may we believe as we receive from the Holy Spirit new and fresh hope. May we believe, and as we believe, may we be filled with hope and joy. And may we live radically different lives from the world around us so that we may point to a God who is good, who is loving, who is kind to his people. All this we pray in Jesus' good name. Amen.
Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Church. If you want to connect with us at Redeemer, we would love for you to visit us at a service in person or visit us online at www.redeemermidland.org.